0: What's up, guys? You're listening to the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. My name is Phil, one of your hosts. Our goal here at the Modern Day Sniper Podcast is to help you become the modern-day rifleman. If you're tuning in for the first time, this podcast is for that modern-day rifleman looking for relevant information on the art of long-range shooting. Whether you're a law enforcement, military sniper, hunter, long-range competitor, or even just a long-range enthusiast, you are listening to this podcast because deep down, your end goal is to master the craft of being a precision rifleman. I'm going to cut this introduction short just because, you know, uh, for those that have been listening and stuff like that, uh, you guys got the general gist of what this podcast is about. And again, if you're tuning in for the first time, go ahead and, you know, check back on episode number one to figure out, um, who is behind modern day sniper podcasts, who Kalen and Phil are, and kind of what our goals with, uh, this, uh, modern day sniper or this podcast is about. So, uh, without further ado, Kalen, what's up, buddy?
1: Man, what's happening?
0: What are we talking about today, man?
1: We are going to talk about ballistics. And the type of ballistics is external. And this is a topic that I really enjoy to talk about because uh, I kind of geek out on that stuff. Um, And I notice one thing that people lack in this area is an understanding of some core concepts That is going to help, like that. It's going to help them understand um, more concepts later on down the road. If you don't have a fundamental understanding of how all of this stuff works, you're going to have a difficult time understanding other concepts. And instead of understanding it, you're just going to be hitting the do button using electronics and not even understanding what it is that you're doing. And we always want to understand the why behind the how. So we can then ask more questions and then go a little bit deeper once you understand all that stuff in the background. And so what we're going to talk about today is, is just like a, like a brief overview of some of these core concepts that, you know, you might know them, you might already know them and you might be super comfortable with them. And that's cool. That's fine. And then you can eventually move to the point of understanding where you can actually teach it. So it always helps to hear some information over and over again too. the other part of this is we want you to learn how to use your equipment so you you guys out there have a lot of equipment and i see a lot of people especially newer shooters in the game they don't understand what the equipment's actually doing for them um, or what it could do or the potential of what it could do and so i just want to just kind of talk about some stuff and get you guys thinking about where your heads should be at and some little homework assignments so to speak as to that, what you can do on your own when we leave.
0: Yeah. So Caitlin and I talked about kind of as, as we grow our modern day sniper podcast, you know, um, one of the things that we are seeing trending on, you know, what's, uh, gets a lot of, um, of downloads is a lot of our technical top podcasts. So, you know, uh, for everyone that's listening, what we can do, or you can, you know, pretty much always go back to, let's say, the first fifteen, knowing that it's, you know, the basic, um, the basic uh, knowledge you would need to understand long range. So, you know, in, in the first fifteen episodes of Modern Day Sniper podcast, we can always again point that new listener to it. Like, hey, you know, if you're if you're tuning this first time, um, and you're just getting into long range, hey, you know, before you even dive any deeper into the podcast, we're talking about. You should go ahead and listen to you know podcasts one through fifteen because we talk about all that basic stuff. Um, And uh, a a lot of this podcast is going to be probably a reaffirmation of what some of you guys that have been doing long range already know, like Kaylin talked about. um, Or it might clarify a lot of stuff um, because most of the information that's out there, I would say, uh, external ballistics wise, that's very. objective. Um, it's, it's taught by a, uh, you know, a ballistician that normally uses pretty big words, you know what I mean? A ballistician or an engineer. Um, so, you know, with Kalen and I uh, being instructors and in, in teaching this probably, uh, you know, once a week, once every two weeks, um, you know, I've, I've probably taught that class differently in the sense that, uh, because of the way the students in my class are receiving it at that point in time, um, you know, they they just receive it differently based off of how I'm uh, I'm uh, telling it to them, if that makes sense. Because it's like, all right, I'm going to try my, my last week's approach. And then, you know, I still get those big <laughs> googly eyes, like, <laughs> nope, we're, we're over the head. Okay, let me try this. Let me try this angle. You know what I mean?
1: Some groups so, of people tend to understand it and grasp it a lot more. And then um, there's always the interest out there too. Right?
0: Yep. Like, yep.
1: Not everybody is interested in that, but some people are. Um, and matter of fact, the, I would have to say the majority of my students over the years have been really interested in that portion of instruction. They're always excited to sit down and get a, a couple hour long ballistics class because it dispels a bunch of nests, rumors that have been floating around out in the, in the ethers for freaking years. And there's people still like holding on to them. So, uh, man, let's jump right in and uh, kind of talk about the progression of gear. That was one of the topics that we wanted to to throw at you guys and say, um, you know, the progression in gear, how did we get data, uh, from back in the day, so to speak to now. And what's that? Yeah. Problem? So
0: Let's, let's talk about when you went through cyber school, how did you collect data or how did you, how did you, you know, account for your dope, which dope stands for data on previous engagement. Yeah. Guys, for that, for those that don't know. So, that's actually
1: a pretty decent trivia question. There's not a lot of people that know that. Because um, I started saying it in class, just a little quick tangent. I started saying it in class and I noticed people are just like, uh, excuse me, what's what's dope? And I was like, whoa, that's okay. We got to break that down. So um, data on previous engagements. And that's exactly what it means. It means that it's uh, it's the data that you had recorded from a previous engagement. Now that you're using it again, in a condition that is similar to that of when you shot it before. And the only way that you'd know that is if you recorded it in a demo. So when you get to that point of understanding the progression, you can look at it how like valuable that ballistic computer program really is.
0: Yeah. So, you know, for those that are, have been through uh, marine corps scout cyber school and i'm pretty sure it's the same for the army um uh, i mean even in in uh in just not even uh cyber school uh in basic marine corps uh rifle qualification we're handed out data books yeah and uh thankfully um i can still say that i uh i shot with iron sights and called with iron sights <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> um
0: and in boot that, camp by the way that was what?
1: five years ago or something
0: like that. When did it change in 2008 Two thousand eight, and, and I went through boot camp in 07. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're giving these data books and we're, um, you know, it's got, they've got wind flags and stuff like that. But, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, two to three more most important parts of that, of every page of that data book was, Hey, what is your rifle currently information? Uh, your site set on right now. Mm hmm. Right. Um, so what your, uh, sights are, uh, what the wind conditions are and what the, you know, lighting conditions are, um, essentially. And, uh, and then also, um, you know, calling your shot. So if you're, uh, you're, if you're able to plot, Hey, where your call is compared to where your hits at, you know, I would say those are generically the four pieces of information that I, I always filled out you know, um, every, every yard line. And that, and that eventually translated to sniper school. When, you know, when you look at a data book, there's a, there's a, there's a shit ton of t- information there, right? You got daytime, you've got the location, which is all good stuff. Right. But, you know, I would say that, uh, by the time you're, you know, week two or week three, you're probably only filling out 50% of the page, which is the pertinent information. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. Cause you get to a point where, <clears throat> as we learned, so just to back up guys, like we were shooting every hundred yards, we were collecting data every hundred yards. And we were, I mean, we were trying, like I remember getting a ballistics class from my ballistics instructor, my, my marksmanship instructor, Ron Allen, and like it was full of really good information. And even later on down the road, you know, the schoolhouse was bringing in, um, you know, private ballisticians that were giving classes, mathematicians that were given classes, so it's, it, you know, trying to progress and they, they were probably right at the forefront of it or I guess I would like to think that they were right at the forefront of it at the time. But I learned a tremendous amount about that which then drove me though to understand more and deeper um, because we were talking about the core concepts. And even then, like the core concepts we know now were incorrect. They and the and the point to understand is that they that they knew that they were incorrect, but they didn't have a better answer. Like you would get somebody would say, "Well, we were doing like Calcon Place on at a at an Urban Sniper package, and you had to go through." I don't know if you ever did. You ever have to do a Calcon Place worksheet? No. Yeah, it's it was like you had it was like a giant algebra problem. <laughs> so it was like add this, subtract that. You're negative here. but it's it got to be like what's what's even happening right now um
0: yeah so so calc and place for is let me let me uh just to if if, if i have my memory served correctly calc and place is is just a um a mathematical essentially a way of taking the dope that you have now mm-hmm. right and essentially it's like okay that, that dope is for or that that data is for sea level you know that's where camp Pendleton's at pretty much and let's say i went over to bridgeport where it's you know, seven, 8,000 feet now, you know, using the altitude and changing, you know, dropping a few mils or whatever the case may be, depending on the distance. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
1: So you would say, okay, well it's, you know, plus or minus, uh, you know, every 20 degrees it's uh, a minute of angle or something yep. like that. Um, and then the same thing with altitude, like plus or minus a thousand feet is one minute of angle. And, yeah. and like they knew that it was happening that there was an effect on the bullet, but we just weren't at a level yet of understanding how to interpret the data we were collecting and transcribe it from that point. And that's that bridge between, you know, the, in past podcast, we've talked about the bridge in between the military sniper community and the civilian shooting community and how, for a long time, that bridge was very, very fractured. I mean, hanging on by a thread, just a trickle of information going over it. <clears throat> so now, though, that, that bridge is like freely flown. It's like a superhighway right now, and that's awesome because a lot of this knowledge is is being Conveyed because you are shooting competitions. You're following podcasts like this you're seeking out information from podcasts like Frank's and Your are cruising internet forums and you're trying to figure stuff out and that's awesome so The progression of gear has just driven this to the point now where we look at an, an electronic device and we started to look at electronic devices and implement utilizing ballistic computer programs. Um, I do not recall somebody doing it before, before my era, but I implemented it into the schoolhouse using the Sierra program and like the old school X ball program in like 2002.
0: And was so, that a, that was an eight, that was separate from a Trag, right?
1: Yes. A Trag did okay. not come out yet. Okay. So a Trag came out. Um, a, came out. At least it was introduced to the Marine Corps and uh it was a little bit after that it was like 2003 ish 2004 ish um so uh, mc socom debt one received a couple of 408 shy techs and they the snipers there were solid snipers but that was a that was something that was out of everybody's league and so didn't really know what to do with it and you know, using utilizing some sources and and some some connections that they had, they came across the A-TRAG software, and I remember uh, looking at the software in the schoolhouse right before um, right before I went overseas, and so the guys were messing around with it because they brought their they brought their shy techs out to the range because they didn't have any other place to shoot them.
0: When I went through sniper school, we were still using data books. We had a track, uh, we had the ballistic calculators in there,
1: mm-hmm. uh, but
0: then instru- instructors didn't want to mess with them. Um, so we just did an old school with, you know, writing data down. Um, when I went to mountain sniper in 2003, 2012, um, they had them up there. Um, but again, we didn't use them. We just collected nothing but hard data. Um, and then when I went to sniper school in 2015, that summer, uh, we got the Kestrel 4500s with applied ballistics. So I would say 2015 is when the uh, Marine Corps sniper, um, uh, program started seeing the applied ballistics, uh, you know, um, software and stuff like that, and implementing it into or having it. I think it was TO to where every sniper rifle had a uh, Kestrel 4500. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the evolution of, you know, ballistic solvers in the uh, uh, sniper community. Cause again, that's a lot of people don't know that, you know, a lot of people think that the Marine Corps always has that the, you know, um, latest and greatest, you know, I would say that when, from what I've heard, when the Marine Corps went to the M40A3 and we got Schmidt and benders, you know, the three to 12s. I mean, we went leaps and bounds ahead of any, any unit, right. Any, any sniper unit. Mm-hmm. And then I think we rested on that for too long oh, where everyone else was fast forward, what, 10 years later. Yeah. Um, and, and we're still running around with the mill dot duplex and now, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, we've got eight attackers, attackers out there with, uh, uh, Tremor threes and H59s and whatever the case may be. Leopold's got great optics on the army sniper systems. Um, and you know, the Marine Corps just fell behind times for the longest time. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, that's when we saw the, uh, the, the Kestrels in the hands of snipers, which is 2015.
1: Yeah. And, and the, the capability that the Kestrel gives you in terms of, uh, the, the amount of information that you can extract from that is pretty phenomenal and it's extremely powerful uh, for your knowledge if you know how to get to it and you know how to use it. And not only that, like you know how to get to it, but you got to know what you're looking for. Yep. Um, You have to also have a background understanding of, of the core principles of why it is that you're looking for that. Um, You know, case in point, like interpreting ballistic data, like a chart, Um, what do all the numbers mean? You know, what, what's, where is my bullet The the common trend is, excuse me, people not truly being aware of where their bullet is throughout the course of its trajectory in relationship to your line of sight. Like at what point in time does it cross the line of sight and what point in time does it make a second line of sight crossing like fundamental trajectory stuff. Um, and then saying, okay, well, if that's the case, well, where, how high is my bullet on its maximum height on its way to the target? Because that's critical information that you need to know in order for you to make uh, a really truly accurate wind call. We got to look at where the bullet's going to live, and read the wind there before we make we can, before we can really get super tuned in with our wind calls.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's what we're kind of going to roll into the meat and potatoes. This podcast is kind of dissecting. I would say the, the Kestrel, um, and a ballistic program. Right. Um, and you know, cause I would say, uh, we talked about this right before the podcast, uh, a common trend that we see with shooters is the only time that they use the Kestrel is when they're out in the field or when they're on their gun, you know, getting ready to shoot, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, I've heard all the stories like, Oh, nothing's lining up my Kestrel right now. I'm shooting like crap, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, and it's like, well, you know, have you, have you messed with your, your device or your ballistic calculator at all, you know, at home? To, well,
1: is, is your, is your Kestrel messed up or are you shooting shitty?
0: Yeah. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, I, and, and right now, especially with everything going on in the world, I think this podcast is perfect because what we're going to do is we're going to drop some little hints to give you guys homework, mm-hmm. uh, to essentially dissect and look at your data um, to, you know, hopefully when next time you guys go out to the range, it's a little bit more clear now before we dive into, um, you know, some of the frequently asked questions of external ballistics, Kalen, one thing I wanted to ask you was, um, the relevancy of data books now.
1: I think that the, that the relevancy of a data book is still very much there. However, I've kind of like transitioned my thought process on how, um, we should utilize a quote unquote data book, um, like the traditional data book of the the old school. Like draw the target in there, and we're going to list our starting elevation and our starting wind call for shot number one. Um, fire shot number one. You know, observe the impact of number one. Then go to the data book and write all that information down. Like your wind call was garbage five minutes ago type stuff so that is no longer applicable that particular portion of the data book is no longer applicable however there are other aspects of it from a more of a a, like a journaling standpoint of just like documenting your just documenting your shooting experience for that day not necessarily um like hey a date here what like elevation was this um, da was this and I shot this many rounds no I'm talking about like a, a debrief of like what was your experience about that day like
0: go ahead. you're building a shooting uh, you're, you're building a shooting journal for yourself and yes. your, your, your friends and your habits
1: yes yes um, you know it's I do enjoy keeping a journal and I would be I would lie if um, if I was super consistent in doing it but when I do, you know, sometimes the schedule can get really, really bananas and you're not doing the same thing every day. So it's hard to continue and establish your routine, especially if you got a big travel schedule or something like that. Um, but like being able to take a notebook with you, um, and write down things like, yeah, this is how I was like, this is how I was feeling when I came to shoot today. Where was my mind at? Was my mind uh, focused on other things? Um, was I super excited to go shoot? Um, things like that because those you can attach those trends to your performance um through your scores and so like if you set up like a little mini course of fire right like you could record that you could draw that course of fire in your journal you could record it um and just kind of talk about what you did very similar to like what like what i like to do at shooting matches even if it's a local club match man i write down the stage um i'll take notes on it And like, I'll write down my notes after the stage is complete because it's training value. So that aspect of a data book, yes. Things like trajectory validation. Um, people are like, ah, it's already in the Kestrel. it's like, nah, I like having a visual track record of what is going on with the gun. So I do that a little bit with, um, with like a Microsoft Excel, Excel spreadsheet. Um, to keep track of all that stuff. And it's cause I do it. Cause it's interesting to see the trends. Like, yep. you know, it's not, trust me, I don't want any more work. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I, but I do want to see the trends in order to speak intelligently on this stuff. You need to be able to witness trends through like actual depth.
0: And, and honestly, that's when I, started, when I started, when I started actually writing all the data down from the Kestrel unit. Right. Um, that's when you start seeing trends, when you start manipulating, you know, the fields and the Kestrel or your ballistic software, you know, external ballistics, you know, especially going from one extreme to another, uh, you know, um, sea level to, let's say 5,000 feet, you really start to see, you know, um, what is, um, what is just noise, you know what I mean? Um, and that, you know, uh, a <laughs> a ten foot or a ten degree change in temperature, right? Right. (laughs) Is not gonna be throwing your rounds a minute or two minutes, whatever freaking crazy number that you get or you hear from other shooters. You can't miss on that
1: guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So and this is you know, so this is again what we're gonna dive into, you know, with uh with what we're talking about. But um so, Kalen, come a, so a few common questions, right? Uh, in, in terms of external ballistics, I, I would say that uh, let's start with the projectile itself, and then kind of move into the atmospherics. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about the bullet. Um, let's talk about what is what is BC.
1: Yeah, people know what it like. They have a. I think they understand like what it is, but I don't think that they understand like
0: <clears throat> what it what it is. <laughs> yeah,
1: what it is. It's, it's nothing, it's really nothing more than a measure of how um, efficient your bullet is traveling through the air and um, basically defeating drag. And so, so.
0: So by definition, what is, what is ballistic? So BC stands for ballistic coefficient. And yep. usually it's found on on a box of ammunition. So, you know, if you're listening to, you know, if you're, if you're near a shooter listening and you're like, well, where the hell do I find the BC at? Yeah, it's usually printed on the box of ammunition.
1: Yeah, or something on it's on the box of ammunition and honestly guys um if you and this is crazy i used to think that this was common knowledge but it's not anymore um you mentioned like brian litz's books on their on the on the ballistic coefficients people are still like whoa wait a minute that's a thing because they're still trying to figure out where to find bcs and yeah, it's on the internet forums and stuff, but like it's hard to find stuff. And really, who has the time to sit there and sift through all that? I mean, yeah, you can use search features and things, but um, having this book, especially for me as an instructor, because we have so many students that come through with different bullets, especially from hunting courses. Hunting courses, you can, you, you have no idea what you're going to get. So I have that book that uh, Brian Litz's book uh, modern advancements in long range shooting and that goes with me in my gearbox when I teach classes because it's a it's an insta reference for ballistic coefficients that actually work and that they're actually they've been tested, they've been proven under that set of conditions, and he logs it on onto the paper. And so that is the best resource in in my opinion.
0: Yes. So you know uh, and again i I think when people get caught up too much on the forms it's it's because they're not making the translation between what they're reading and what's actually happening downrange. just this goes back to what i always say in my podcast is finding your own truths right in the in order for you to verify what you're reading is by taking that information going out and proving it yourself um and um so bc i'm looking at right now on the burger site um, you know, because I would say, you know, uh, you know, Brian Litz right now is the most relevant ballistician out there. Uh, that, that's a very common name. So, you know, based off of his definition, uh, ballistic coefficient is defined as the ability of the bullet to maintain velocity in comparison to a standard projectile. And we're, I think we'll, we'll roll, in, roll into what that is
1: here. Yeah. So, that's that is a real key point right there. And that's, um, that's a great way of defining it because the the comparison to a standard bullet clause means everything in terms of trying to explain to somebody like what is a ballistic coefficient and what do all these numbers mean? Why are they this? <clears throat> so that brings us to understanding some other core concepts of ballistics. Okay. So a BC is essentially a measure of the bullet flying through the air. Well, is a measure of how efficiently that bullet's going to fly through the air. In comparison to a standard projectile, that's very important. Because in order for us to compare anything to anything, you got to have some standard to compare it against. What this is doing, guys, like inside your ballistic computer program, this is essentially it's turning into an algorithm. It's turning into a mathematical formula that your computer is going to use to solve the problem that you give it. So BC has to be based on certain types of bullets. And so this goes back to the Aberdeen Proving Ground days and the Ingalls scales. So these scales were developed to model different bullet types um, and different bullet characteristics and their drag coefficients. And what that means is, like, we have a pistol bullet that's being slung through the air at 1,200 feet a second then that bullet looks a certain way. It has a certain, uh, a certain shape and certain dimensions because of its size and its mass that it has to be. So it's like a 9-millimeter bullet. we got to make 125 grains fit into this, and so it's short and stubby. So then we get into rifle bullets, and they look completely different. And so they, it's obviously going to fly through the air completely different. So we assign a drag curve to that or a drag coefficient curve. And all that is is a measure of um, you know graphical representation or proportional representation of uh, the bullet's deceleration. And that's important to know because each one of those numbers, each one of those G scales has its own standard bullet. So there is like a standard, think of it like a reamer, right? Like a Sami spec reamer. There's a specific reamer for a pistol bullet. There's a specific reamer for a G two bullet and G three and all the way on down to G eight. Is that making sense?
0: Yep. We're the most common. So the most common G one and G seven is what we use for long range shooting.
1: Yeah. G one and G seven. And the guys that are getting into the ELR stuff, uh, they could be using a G eight profile if they're still using, um, if they're still even using BCs. So, and the reason that I say that is because a BC was, was once the most common method of figuring out where your bullet was going to be in time and space. That's basically what's occurring. We're, we're utilizing the mass, the size of the bullet, its, its shape, uh, dimensions of its boat tail, and it's all going into a formula that says it is going to experience this drag At this point in time in its speed and therefore we can accurately predict where it's going to be in space so that's the old school way of doing it and when i say old school it's still it's still totally relevant and people are still using bcs but now that we've gotten even more accurate we've moved beyond bcs and now we're using radar derived drag curves
0: Before I before I sorry before we get into drag curves, I would I would say that uh, one thing that a lot of shooters don't know as well is that uh, the BC of that bullet is also changing uh, during its flight, Mm -hmm. and normally that number that's printed on the box is the average BC, usually in supersonic range of how fast that bullet's traveling. Is that correct?
1: It it actually. It, it depends on whether it's a G1 BC or a G7 BC.
0: Yeah.
1: So this is, you know, this is where it gets a little bit wonky and it kind of gets difficult to explain to people. Yeah. Um, and that's where it's like understanding the core concepts come yep. into play as being super important. So remember the standard bullet, right? So if I have a G1 ballistic coefficient, that means that my long-range bullet, my super sleek long-range bullet, its drag is being compared to that of a pistol bullet. So therefore, the standard rifle bullet that we use is a G7 BC, or I'm sorry, it's a G7 uh, drag coefficient. So we have the BC, but the standard bullet of a G7 has half the amount of drag As the g1 bullet okay so that's 0.5 that that number that's your form factor and so this is where bcs and and like understanding how a bc changes in flight so the form factor is basically comparing like what your bullet is to the standard that it's that the number is measured against so like in our case like with the 175 grain sierra match king A G1 BC, like if you went and looked on Sierra's website, that would be like point, uh, I think the BC is advertised as point five zero five. Well, that point five zero five BC, and this is what we started to learn when I was implementing these these ballistic computer programs into the sniper school in like 2001, 2002. We were taking the G1 BC and putting it into the computer program and we were noticing that data would track perfectly up to about 650 yards, 700 yards, depending on the DA. And so even with, even with not understanding the difference between absolute pressure and barometric pressure and kind of screwing those numbers up, we were still accurate because we were uh, consistent enough. Um, and we were able to track it, but what we didn't understand was why, why is this happening? Um, why am I seeing a separation? in the in the predicted data at that 600 yard mark so there's a a couple of different things going on there most of which is the problem with the bc we were using because a g1 bc with that form factor the bc changes with velocity so you can you have to use velocity bands with these bullets so if i plug in 0.505 that BC, that bullet has that BC, but only when it's traveling 3,000 feet a second. Yep. Does that make sense?
0: That's, I'm tracking.
1: So we don't shoot that bullet that fast. We shoot that bullet like at 2650-ish, yep. somewhere in there. So then if I take that next lower BC, that band of BC for that velocity, it's more of an average of uh, 0.475. So you plug that into your ballistic computer program and you're going to get pretty close. Like you're going to get pretty close out to the edge of supersonic flight. It's just going to require some tuning. And the reason that it requires tuning is there's all different kinds of aerodynamic phenomena that occur to your bullet as soon as it leaves the muzzle. So even inside the barrel, your bullet is being, smashed into the rifling right so it's being smashed into the rifling with 55,000 pounds of pressure behind it and the rifling is exerting a tremendous amount of force and stress on the projectile and then in turn it's doing the same thing to the barrel so your bullet's going to be slightly deformed and there's a, you know some a plasma will atomize some of the back of the projectile which will you know then turn into copper deposits there's all different kinds of craziness happening inside the board but that's changing your projectile, and then the projectile is going to enter the air, and it's going to go into all different other kinds of phenomena, such as you know we have aerodynamic jump, we have like how stable is the bullet, what's the bullet's rated twist, is it appropriate for its size and length, things like that. So those are going to change your BC in flight as well.
0: Essentially, in, in, in yeah, in layman's terms, guys, um, there's a lot of things that affect a uh, bullet's ballistic coefficiency right um that you know when you look on a box of ammunition one thing that you know shooters i I think also don't grasp is um you know let's say hornady for instance you know because it's a very common bullet that i'm using at school at the gummer schoolhouse um 140 grand eldms we're going to walk into that data here in a little bit but uh you know when hornady (laughs) tests that bullet right they're testing it out of their test rifle which could be completely different properties than your rifle that you're shooting right so don't be surprised if your bc you know if you're using a ballistic calculator cuz uh, Kaylin and I are going to jump into you know what's new now right what's what's more relevant but i would say there's still people out there using ballistic coefficients but uh, for those that are you know don't be surprised if that 0.326 on that 140 ELDM doesn't line up with what your gun is shooting, especially if you have a custom-built rifle, 26-inch barrel, seven and a half twist, whatever. You know, it be it might be a completely different uh, rifle specifications than what Hornady used to test those bullets at and at the factory.
1: That's important. To, that's important to remember um, because if there's anything I try to get students to understand, it's that now in the year 2020. BC, your bullet, your bullet's ballistic coefficient is the is the the factor that is an unknown.
0: BC is the new data book. <laughs>
1: there you go. Yeah, that's, that'd that's be the, really good. Yeah. Yeah, good. It,
0: that's that's really good. So so uh, real quick before we do, we because I know Kaelin's chomping on the bit here to jump into uh, Doppler and stuff like that. One thing that I wanted to uh, have in my notes here is to for for those that are listening that uh, you know are still kind of new to long ranges is a bc a bullet with a higher bc over another bc right um given all other variables the same such as most velocity um atmospherics that bullet is gonna uh, fly more efficiently through the air uh, meaning have a lot flatter trajectory you know especially at the further distances so case in point i've got uh, my ballistic data from um uh, my last podcast or my uh, episode seven podcast, run by myself, um, and I have uh, a three hundred eight, one hundred seventy-five Sierra Match King going twenty-seven hundred feet per second, uh, compared to a six-five Creedmoor, one hundred forty Eldm going twenty-seven hundred feet per second, the same exact atmospherics. The drop in inches at a thousand yards for that three hundred eight, that one hundred seventy-five uh, Sierra Match King, with a G seven coefficient of point two four three, is three hundred eighty-seven inches. Okay, and then the one hundred and forty ELEM is a, a G seven coefficient of zero point three two six with a drop of inches at a thousand yards of three hundred and nineteen inches, um, which the difference is sixty eight inches of drop,
1: and that's significant.
0: That's that's a lot.
1: <laughs> that's actually the size of an average man.
0: Yeah. So, um, so that is you know when when, you, when we're talking about okay well uh, I would say bullet selection, right. Um, a a common question is, okay, well, um, you know, bullet selection is going to drive application. You know what I mean? And that's something that I learned, especially coming into Gunworks to teach is that there are definitely a lot of different bullets for specific applications, you know, types of, you know, game you want to shoot, um, you know, where you plan on shooting it, you know, uh, and, and the, uh, you know, penetration, all that, you know, the Terminal Ballistics class is a whole podcast, maybe two or three in itself. Uh, But I would say, you know, if the common bullets nowadays, you know, Kalen and I are going to talk mostly for this podcast, very two popular introductory bullets that I still love and still use, uh, which is a 175 Sierra Match King uh, out of a 308 and a, a 140 ELDM out of a 65 Creedmoor
1: gold standard bullets for their cartridges. I mean, you know, for 308, the 175 grain mash King is King and the one hundred forty ELDM, whether it was start, you know, started off as the AMAX. Now the ELDM that's the flagship bullet for the Creedmoor.
0: So let's roll into, you know, now that we kind of got a general idea of kind of BC uh, let's talk Doppler and, you know, kind of what Hornady's got going on with uh, the Ford off.
1: I wrote an article on this for Sniper magazine. Um, I think it was like the last year that that, it, that the magazine was in print. And the Fordoff solver is extremely interesting because it gives, what it gave was a better look into what's actually happening aerodynamically with the bullet. We were no longer utilizing hypotheticals or hypothetical mathematical formulas to to estimate what the bullet was going to do, now through the use of a Doppler radar, you're able to actually see the bullet through its entire flight path. And so, I've always been fascinated by the external ballistics stuff. And uh, Jaden Quinlan at Hornady is an awesome guy to talk to about it because he's able to break it down into real into layman's terms. Um, you know, like like Brian Litz was instrumental in Getting the, the the layman's term of ballistics out there to the public, you know, in in 2008 2009 timeframe, and still today, I mean, like he's still publishing some great information today too, and the the rate at which that information flooded into the compute into the community was amazing. So Jaden explained to me. Also in super layman's terms that B.C. is like a time-lapse photograph of your bullet in flight There's going to be gaps in there and those gaps are like those velocity bands and Especially at the bullets slower flight speeds not necessarily up front where it's where it's super fast But we're talking about where when it gets slow into the into the long-range portion of the bullets flight and then he said that the Doppler radar is able to provide basically a video, like you're watching it happen in real time. And then you're also able to model what's happening in real time, like in a kind of a three dimensional way. And that's that's insane to be able to map out um, bullet trajectory, because when we use ballistic coefficients, we're using something called a point mass solver. And a point mass solver is using basically estimates of where that bullet is going to be in time and space and the the point mass solver is restricted to how many degrees of freedom it can map a projectile right like so there's three degrees of freedom three main degrees of freedom the x y and z axes and then on each of those axes they also have a rotational direction right so then you have in reality, if you could model a projectile in flight to its maximum, uh, predictability, you'd be talking in six degrees of freedom. And so hopefully that's like, I don't want to like try to blow anybody's mind, but these are like, it's, it should be fairly common knowledge, I guess. In my, my opinion, if you're going to be into the sport and you're going to understand what's actually happening.
0: So essentially what we did in, in again, to relate this to, um, it's just a different uh, uh, look at it right we went from uh what's before 1080 just sd talking about video quality
1: oh yeah uh, what was before 1080 was um i think it was just hd
0: yeah so we went from hd right to 1080p to now 4k right
1: now we're shooting now we're now we're out to about to we're about to come out with a camera that's available to the public that can shoot in 8k
0: 8k you know so that's essentially the evolution also being able to map, um, the bullet, uh, flight path. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm glad you put it in that vers- the uh, analogy of, you know, a time last photo-, uh, photo versus a video.
1: Yeah. I think they, so I, that an analogy Jay- that, I, I, I use know. that religiously because it's in a, in a, cause it's such a good way to describe it.
0: Oh, it's perfect. Um, so in the podcast we talked about, I think, the same podcast. We talked with the, uh, Mark, uh, Mark 13. We talked about our ballistic software of choice, um, which both of us use the Hornady Ford off religiously, mm-hmm. um, because they have, uh, you know, a bullet library and stuff like that. Um, so let's talk about that for a second, you know?
1: Yeah. It, and so we're going to jump right. We're going to, we're going to talk real quick about the radar again. Um, and so the Doppler radar was, was not super revolutionary. Um, Barnes Bullets has had a Doppler pretty much as far as I know to my knowledge Barnes Bullets had a Doppler and the reason that we didn't use Dopplers before was just super expensive and the technology wasn't yet available to make them Superman portable and now that now they are and so if you're in that space and you're you're a ballistics company or a bullet manufacturer in that space it's becoming um, available to you And that's awesome because all this is doing is it's driving more accurate data. So like as an example, I I might get these numbers slightly off, but I want to say a 30 cal bullet through Hornady's Doppler, they can map that thing to like 2,300 yards under ideal conditions. So that is a video of the bullet leaving the muzzle and traveling that entire distance that you're able to model it on a graph. And so that's like, that's intense when it comes to being able to have accurate trajectory predictions. And so this also allows, this also allows the user to have a more defined and accurate um, estimate or compensation for things like aerodynamic jump and spin drift. So two aerodynamic phenomena that occur to the bullet that occur on the bullet but up until now, we're only hypothetically through mathematical formulas, right? Those estimates were only hy- hypothetical based upon math. Now we're able to see it in real time. So then we could they can reverse engineer that and come up with the why behind that, which is that's awesome. It's it's so cool.
0: So for those that don't know, uh, aerodynamic component, um, again, this is another plug for the Hornady Ford off. If you're at home listening to this, it would be, who of you to download it right now because by the time you download it and by the time we get into that portion of the podcast, you should be, should be able to follow along. Anyways, for those that already have it, if you look on uh, the app and you, you know, you, you create a test gun or look on your gun, go to 500 yards. And what I want you to do is, you know, uh, put your uh, target at 500 yards, your wind coming from the directly from the 90 um, going to, so from right to left and, you know, increase it to, let's say five miles an hour. And what you should see is a drop of your dope because what's happening is as a bullet that is, in because it's spinning to the right, if you have a right right twist barrel, as it encounters a right wind, what that wind is doing is, is pushing that bullet up. So the ballistic calculator is calculating for that, telling you to come down on your dope so that you're not trending high Depending on the speed of the uh, crosswind and vice versa. So if you've got left wind, right. So take your arrow, spin it to two seventy, going from left to right, five hundred yards. You know, five ten miles an hour. You should see now an increase of your your elevation data, um, or your come up because that bullet is getting pushed down by that crosswind. Yeah. Did I say that correctly?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so the the thing the thing to remember, guys, is that. It's not a function of like the spin catching the wind and slinging the bullet, like a lot of people think it is. It's actually an aerodynamic phenomenon because the bullet is always wanting to point itself into the wind, for one. And when you compound all of those different axes with all of those different forces and moments, you start to get something called precession. And that precession starts to occur. And it's basically the tip of the bullet drawing tiny little circles around its axes and the direction of those tiny little circles and the way that they go is dictated by the direction of the wind, as well as, you know, how fast is the bullet spinning? Um, because it doesn't want to bend with the trajectory. So it's, it's really, really cool stuff. And, you know, I don't want to get like super mathematical because, you know, for those of you guys who dig on that stuff, like you're going to, you're going to get hopefully a fire lit under you. And you're going to go back and like, whoa, let me read this. And I kind of equate this to, um, a guy that I knew, um, he took over the marksmanship program from me and, and like, he's super gung ho about this, the, the external ballistic stuff. As a matter of fact, I just talked to him yesterday about it. Um, talking about, you know, different modeling techniques now and, um, what some other people are doing in the industry, which is super interesting. And he wanted to come in and teach all this stuff. He wanted to come in and teach, like, where does the BC come from to basic sniper students? And it's not relevant information to know at that point in time. But it is information that if you wish to progress and rise above the status quo, then this is information that you really do need to know and understand. And if you're an instructor, you need to know this information inside and out and be able to teach it and to be able to teach it in a way that that you can uh, connect and communicate with people that have a different learning style than you.
0: Yeah. So ballistics is super dry, right? I I would say that, you know, when I read Brian Litz's book, it was one of those, like I'd read through the first time and man, I, I I would probably say that 10 to 15% stuck. And then, after I read it again, it was like, okay, like, and, and I think I would immersed myself a little bit more in a long range shooting. I was an instructor at that point and started competing and a lot of stuff started to really pop out. You know what I mean? And depending on how dedicated you are to, you know, investing yourself in the art of long range shooting, again, Caitlin and I are forever students and I can't even stress that enough. And we appreciate everyone, you know, uh, the comments that I get like, Hey man, you get, you're a truly master Master of your craft, and I don't even think I've scratched the surface to be honest with you. No. um and I love learning about the stuff, I love picking the subject matter expert's brain. For instance, uh, I met an F class shooter at a uh, PRS match, he started getting into PRS, and you know, I asked him some you know, common things that you know about ballistics and cleaning a rifle that you know that I could probably use on my side of the house, you know what I mean, to see how they because I mean, they really. If you look at an F class shooter, a bench rest shooter, I mean, what they, what their goal is to truly accurize a rifle system. You know what I mean? Yep. For, for me, I'm trying to, to drive an accurate rifle system, but I'm not too worried about accurizing it to the to the fact, um, you know, I'm, I'm printing, you know, 0.1 inch groups at a thousand yards. Like, no, I don't, that's not, you know, for me, that that's a waste of my time because you know, that's only done in the prone I want to be able to do that, you know, or, you know, maximize the capability of a rifle system in any kind of shooting position, standing and sitting. So that's where the practical side of the house is. Sorry guys, my, my daughter's getting ice for me. So if you hear that in the background, that's what that is.
1: <laughs> get um, get some slack, man.
0: Anyways. Um, but yeah, no, this, this stuff fascinates me. Um, you know, you could easily get down the rabbit hole, uh, with uh, external ballistics, but hopefully, you know, what this podcast does again, it just provides you guys a, a different um, step in a way of we, the way we communicate it. Cause again, you know, Caitlin and I probably teach this class um, right along with our uh, fundamentals class religiously. And I would say this is the, I think it's easy to teach fundamentals cause we're really passionate about that. It. It's very, um, you know, easy to, to diagnose the, um, like the why, right. Give the why I I think it's very hard to give the why, uh, in terms of ballistics, especially with that student that wants a little bit to know a little bit more, even though it's completely irrelevant at that point. Mm -hmm.
1: It's, it's hard to do, man. Like to, like you said, teaching the fundamentals is, is, is like, you teach that stuff by the back of your hand. But every time you learn something new with regard to ballistics, you got to figure out how to work it into your flow. And not only then you got to figure out like, okay, do I really know this well enough to teach it and to like to explain the difference between a G1 and a G7 BC to somebody that has no fucking clue what I'm talking about. Yeah, Like that's, that's the level that you got to be of understanding in order to like make this click um and i find it super fascinating and and the 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 other thing is like i am not a math dude okay like a lot of a lot of you guys have these common fucking misconceptions that like this is all super ninja math like mathematician stuff and it's really not it's just understanding some core concepts and and like uh if i would have paid attention to if i would have known in high school that i'm doing like what I'm doing right now that I'd be a professional long range instructor uh, and shooter and literally studying this stuff. It is all math. It is all geometry. It's all trigonometry. And it's all the dry stuff that I freaking hated in school because I couldn't relate to it. I didn't have anything to like make the connection in my mind. And so now like my brother is um, just about wrapped up with his PhD. He's a physicist and um he is a tremendous resource and he has been in the past. He's, he's helped us out working with Marine courses, uh, the, uh, urban sniper packages, understanding some, you know, things with mechanical offset and obstacle clearance and really helping simplify things. And it's awesome to be able to, to be able to get into that and understand that because you already have a core understanding of like what was before. And so like, we kind of got down a little bit of a rabbit hole when it came to the, the, you know, the, the Ford off, like the Doppler, but the progression of where we're at in, uh, in the, in the science of external ballistics is truly at the forefront. And our community right now is truly at the forefront because we are, we are synced right now with the, with the, with the military. And that bridge is full flowing, like, no holds barred and the information is sailing across the lines and so we are at the state of the art in the community right now
0: after understanding so now we've so we've talked about the bullet right talked about Ford off talked about you know kind of understanding how uh, you know a ballistic solver essentially maps out uh, a projectile let's talk about the effects of um some of the external factors of atmospherics Uh, and what what truly matters and when does it matter yeah at what point does it matter right
1: that's a huge one um and i think that i think largely people understand like what uh the core fundamental of like how the atmosphere affects the projectile like that's i think that's pretty like firmly grasped in the sense that hey if i go up in altitude the air gets less dense the bullet is going to retain more velocity for a greater distance and then conversely, if I go down closer to sea level, the air is going to become more dense and it's going to have more resistance on the projectile. And the same thing is with temperature and, and that stuff. Um, I think the biggest discrepancy that I see, Phil, is like people don't understand um, the difference between barometric pressure and absolute pressure.
0: Ooh, I like this one.
1: That's a, like most people don't get that. Um, and we do take a real we take a deep dive into that in precision rifle 101 because that's like once we learn how to set up the system that's part of learning how to shoot long range is understanding you know the difference in those two so we go into that pretty deep there
0: so for external ballistics right or you know the uh, the things that you plug into a ballistic solver that a ballistic solver needs to give you an output, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, altitude, temperature, humidity, th- those big three, right? And this is one thing that I love about.
1: Did you say pressure? Uh,
0: well, yeah, altitude pressure. Um, One thing I do like about the, the Ford Off is uh, if you know your altitude, your station pressure automatically corrects. Um, and, and pressure is a big, big thing. And then a, a good, another common question that I get is, um, uh, DA, right. Uh, the culmination of those three that turn into a number and which one is more accurate,
1: yeah. <laughs> right? So it's a totally valid question.
0: It, is it completely valid. So I would say that I, I usually use those three. Mm-hmm. um because with d a you can get you know three thousand d a by changing up those three numbers a different way right yeah, do it to a point <laughs> you know and i i i um is is the so like does you know so you know what i'm saying so like if i've manipulated temperature to where you know it's super hot only a thousand feet it still replicates you know three thousand feet of it's da
1: expanded. yeah so
0: it versus works. versus let's say two thousand feet of elevation and 40 degrees right it's or, or three thousand feet of elevation and 40 degrees it's still three three thousand da does that make sense
1: it's 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 the whole like three plus one equals four two plus yeah. two equals four so it's all on bands Yes, you can have you can have a DA condition replicated by just manipulating the variables, whether it's altitude or pressure, um, or I'm sorry, altitude or temperature. So, DA guys, like the reason that I say that, I mean, DA can be an accurate way. I I never validate a trajectory off of DA. Um, like I'll make DA cards that will have those bands that we were just talking about on them um, that. We're actually, we're in a process of creating our, our cards and I'm, I'm pretty stoked about how they're going to come out. But the, the way that I validate a trajectory is I use temperature, I use absolute pressure, and you always feed the computer with a humidity if you can. But when you're utilizing absolute pressure, you only have to give the computer two things. You have to give it the, the pressure of the air at the altitude you're at right then and there that's not corrected to sea level, and then you have to give it a temperature. And the reason that you have to give it a temperature is obviously like density of the air stuff, but it also plays into the Mach value. Like what is the Mach number of the day? Because the speed of sound changes based upon atmospheric conditions. But if you wanna use barometric pressure, you have to feed the computer essentially four things. You have to feed it with the temperature, you have to feed it with the altitude, you have to feed it then with barometric pressure and then humidity. So the reason that it requires an altitude associated with it is those barometric pressures are corrected to sea level. And that's for another topic at another time. Cause that'll go great That'll get crazy fast, man. But, um.
0: Yeah. So guys, if, Let's. I want to run through real quick um, an, an example on a test gun um, of let's say you know a, a change of altitude in, in, in guys. Um, I know a lot of us are probably stuck at home working from home. Um, so this is some some homework you can do with your rifle if your rifle is built. So I'm just going to pull up my app here. My test gun's a six five Creedmoor, uh, one forty grand ELDM. Uh, with, with a 24-inch barrel, uh, which 24, I mean, it doesn't say what barrel inches, you know, it's multiple velocity. So a 24-inch barrel usually produces 2750 feet per second. Uh, zero range is at 100, side height is 2 inches. Barrel rate twist is 7.5, which is common, right? And I'm going to just run in uh, mill radians. Okay. All right, so and
1: we're going to compare. Uh, my rifle is a... 308 winchester firing 175 grain match king and we are going to go ahead and use um oh, let's see here we're going to fire that bullet at 2650 feet a second uh, with a sight height of two inches a rate of twist of nine and i think that is it yep we're going to use mil radians as well
0: and you're a sea level with uh, 50 degrees humidity and 59 temp.
1: I'll be right there right now. Zero. You want 50 degrees?
0: 59.
1: Oh, yeah. If think we're going to do standard. yeah, 59 and then
0: 36. Is it 36 for humidity? Yeah. I did not know that. Now I know. All right. Okay, we're going to hit
1: save. All right. Let's just leave wind. Let's just leave wind at zero. Zero zero. Leave that out of the equation for now. Okay, so and we're calibrated in yards. So okay, so at a thousand yards. <clears throat> um I have a come up of let's see, four hundred and five inches, four hundred and five point nine, so four oh six.
0: Wow. I have a uh come up of three hundred and seven point three five inches. Yeah,
1: it's a big deal, especially at sea level. Um,
0: right.
1: you start seeing. So that's a hundred.
0: Well, that's a hundred feet per second difference, right? And then, and then that is um, <clears throat> that is hundred feet per second difference, and you know, obviously a, a six five Creedmoor versus the the one forty grain ELDM versus the one seventy five Sierra Match King.
1: Yeah, and yes. so something or something to realize with these numbers, guys, is like when you're trying to select a bullet, especially for like you know, purpose built long range shooting. You're, tr- you're You want to try to select the bullet. That's as the heaviest in the class as fast as you can push it. Right. And that's the, that's the big thing is understanding that whole core concept of like, you know, all right, cool. Well, as an example, like my seven, my seven millimeter som I run that out of a short action, uh, short action uh, action. So, I can't run 195s in that thing. I won't be able to, if I want, if I want to run 195s in it, I would have to have too much bullet in the case and I wouldn't be able to push it fast enough to take advantage of it. So that's where it's not advantageous. So if I wanted to make that cartridge and shoot it, I would have to, you know, jump up to a medium length action and change my mags. And have a chamber specifically cut with freeboard for that projectile to make maximum use of that heavy caliber or that heavy bullet in its class. So like with Phil's with fill Phil with your bullets 140, right? 140 grain? Yep. So the what's the heaviest what's the heaviest bullet in that class in the six five?
0: I think a 155, if I'm not mistaken. I think yeah. it's a 150 or 155.
1: Yeah. So so now though you look at it you're like okay well let's run the numbers how fast can i push that 155 and not smoke barrels yeah all right so and then you start just that's how we do these that's how we figure this out guys it's like we're it's like we're we're constantly running those numbers and running the pros and cons of different things with those variables so that's once you understand how to use your ballistic computer program like this is what i try to tell sniper students right it's like once you understand how to use this thing and like dig the information out of it, like, dude, you're, you're going to have such a better connection with what's happening downrange. Okay. So, so we're shooting. All right. So four five, but 406 inches. All right. So let's just go, we're doing, are we doing uh, pressure? So
0: let's, so let's manipulate. Um, we'll keep all the variables the same. Uh, my minus altitude let's adjust our altitude um, let's let's go to let's go to Yakima 20 so right now we're let, let, right now we're on the sunny beaches of California where they're on uh, complete lockdown
1: Yo, dude, we're, we are the Palm Springs of Washington I don't know if you knew that but it's the Palm Springs of Washington here get us ready all right so 2,200 feet Twenty. all right so it's gonna all it's gonna automatically adjust my pressure to 27.61 inches of mercury. We're gonna keep the same temperature, 59 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. All right. So let's see, we are, now we're dropping 380 inches.
0: What's the difference there? Uh,
1: For me, uh, 26 inches.
0: So you got a 26 inch drop at a thousand yards. Um, so real quick, let's back up. Let's, let's grab your, um, data too. Let's do 500 and a thousand. Me? Yeah. So grab your 500 from, uh, from sea level.
1: Oh, 500 from sea level. Yep. Let me get in here. So 558, 59 inches. All right. Now we're going to go jump up to 500 there. We're going to go 2k, 2,200 feet rather. And then we're going to go to 500. That is 57. All right. So I got 57.8 at 500 with
0: 2,200 feet. So what's your difference there at 500 yards and going 2000 feet? 2.8 inches. Okay. 2.8 inches. So let's, let's go ahead and take a, a tactical, uh, tactical pause. Yeah. All right. So Maybe for those that are listening, you know, they're probably listening to like, okay, what, what the hell are they doing? So what I had Kalen do is, you know, um, you know, th- and this is understanding how to read your data and again, start starting to figure out, okay, well, what the hell is just noise and what do I really need to, you know, when do I really need to start accounting for atmospherics? Okay. So for your three Oh eight difference at 500 yards going 2000 feet of elevation change, your bullet in theory, given all the other environmental, the same temperature and humidity is only being affected and it's going to be impacting probably higher like three inches. Yes. Two points. So exactly. Uh, 3.8 2.8 to the exact 2.8 so that is just a little smidge over to a half a minute of angle at 500 you know so now that we're now let's talk okay what's our application as a competitive shooter i mean if you're shooting at a uh you know two to three moa target at you know off a barricade or whatever it's at yeah maybe 0.1 0.2 um but if you're a sniper, right, aiming at a freaking 30, 40 inch torso, let's say 30 torso, right, yep. putting on center mass, dude, like if you're trying to pull your Kestrel out at 500 yards exactly. to figure out where your dope is, you re- I mean, you're already lost, right? Homeboy's <laughs> already got You're way lost. Um, and, and that's why I, I, I say you should know your dope out to at least 600, 3.2, boom, put on center mass, regardless of the elevation that I'm at. Um, same thing for a hunter. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I would say that's pretty in an acceptable kill zone there. Um, you know, and honestly, most hunters are probably only comfortable out to 500 yards, anything further than that, you know, and this is assuming that there's no wind for a six, five Creedmoor guys, um, my difference is, uh, at zero feet to 2,200. So at zero feet at 500 yards, my drop is 49.44. Um, at 2,200 feet at 500 yards, my drop is 48.4 inches. That is a 1.4 inch difference. Right. At 500. Now at a thousand, um, I'm at 307 to 293. So that's a, that's a 14 inch difference. It right. was well, just a little over a minute of angle. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I would want to make sure that my atmospheric conditions are correctly. Um, uh, yeah, are accounted for if I'm taking a, a long shot like that. And this goes back to a time and opportunity of what you just, dis- we discussed in, um, a podcast, uh, in our previous episode.
1: Yeah. Time and opportunity dictates all of this stuff, guys. Um, that's why that's why we're really big on pushing you guys to use arm boards and pre-recorded data because that's you're not going to have time to dig into your electronics to find this stuff and unless you got that data like johnny on the spot um you, you might not even have time to do that so when things happen they happen super fast and having those dopes memorized is, is super important
0: the two most common things I hear competitors say, especially when they have a shit day is, Oh, I forgot to uh, change my, my gun over to whatever profile. It's like, Oh yeah. You know? Uh, And you know, I get it. I I get it when guys, you know, some guys are just there to, to hang with the boys and stuff like that. But it's like, dude, you know, like, I mean, you invested, you know, whatever match fee and then you, you know, whatever, uh, how, what travel costs and stuff like that for a, a simple fuck up just as that. <laughs> right. And then, and then your brain immediately just tells you, okay, I'm just here to hang out with the boys. Yeah. Well, if, if that's what you have to tell yourself to be okay with, you know, uh, poor planning. <laughs> I mean, that is what it is. Yeah. Right. But you know, it's stuff like that shouldn't happen, you know, if if you if you only pull your cash if you don't just use the range to pull your Kesher out and just always completely rely on that data. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As soon as I'm done with whatever checking day and this is going on the competitive side of the house, when I'm done with getting all my atmospherics like that immediate night before hanging out with and having beers with whatever, get all my gear squared away and I write out my dope card for that week. That weekend just at in in usually and i've said this in in all my posts i've taken pictures of it i'm always pulling if it's like seven or eight hundred yards in unless there's a big change in temperature and I'm, if i'm doing a long range stage i'm always pulling my data from my uh dope chart yep um
1: because you guys so here's an example too like um just like barrel speed up to how many times have we heard that how many times have we heard like, oh, my barrel sped up, so I'm I'm missing like a half a mil high. I'm like, okay, cool. So, um, I just sped the barrel up on this rifle, this 308, 100 feet a second, and we're gonna take some measurements at 500 yards. So at the 2200 foot elevation, at 2650 feet a second, my bullet was dropping 57.8 inches. So round up to 58. Okay. Then we're over here, we jump up to 2750. So 2750 gives us 52 inches of drop. So how many inches is that? Six, six yeah. inches difference. Okay. So let's just say you're shooting an IPSC and you're breaking center shots. You're still on the plate, even at 150 feet a second or hundred feet a second. And so, like you'll have a cartridge like a 6 millimeter or a 6.5 Creedmoor, they're going to shoot even flatter, Yep,
0: 500
1: yards. And so the difference in that 150 feet a second or 100 feet a second, whatever it is, and it's not enough, man. It's not enough to blame a miss on it at all.
0: Yeah. It, a lot of guys, too, at first, um, were chasing speed until they were cooking their fricking barrels um and they realized that i mean honestly speed doesn't matter right um it's their ability to again go back to making a you know educated wind call
1: well i think also it's like you know um the lower the lower muzzle velocity is also less recoil right yeah yeah um, you can have like, that's why the dasher is so awesome for people because it launches a six millimeter bullet. Um, people are shooting like one Oh nines out of it and yep. it's only moving at what? 2,800 feet a second. Yep. Yeah. If I drop my six Creedmoor down to 2,800 feet a second, the thing still shoots lights out and it literally doesn't move. And I usually run, like I usually run one Oh eights at like 3150. Cause that's right. That rifle shoots them really well.
0: Yeah. So, so, you know, velocity again, and Kaylin and, and I know these cause we were, we run the numbers. We look at our ballistic calculator, um, not always on the range off the range when we're looking at, you know, um, again, just looking at di- dissecting, uh, you know, and utilizing the technology to our advantage. So, um, you know, and this is some, some basic stuff that you guys can do. So, you know, what you guys can do after this is just manipulate, um, you know, your, uh, altitudes, you know, based off of, you know, where, especially as a hunter, um, if you're listening to this and you've got a guided hunter, you know, you've got an area that you're, 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 um, hunting at, right. You know, it's as easy as going to Google. Um, and this is how I set Nicola. Did I tell you that? Yeah. Did, did, did I tell you that on the last podcast when uh, we were, um, you guys were out and shot and you made her we find shot. Battle. Yeah. She, and, and, uh, she was, I was showing her how to put all the inputs into a ballistic calculator and she's like, where do you get all this shit from? And I was like, freaking Google, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I told her I had the casual, Um, but I was like, no, I don't want you, I don't want you to use that. Let's just use Google. And we put all that information in and she shot out to ten eighteen. you know what I mean? With just the information that she found off, uh, our local weather app in Wonderground.
1: It blows people's minds, man. It's pretty yeah. insane when you when you think about it. You're like, all right, well, let's let's break this down. I'm taking this tiny little bullet, this 108 grain little thing, and I am going to predict exactly to within like fractions of an inch of where it's going to be in time and space. That's pretty fucking cool.
0: One thing when I was um in uh, uh when I was a stalker mode um, stocking Kalen Wojcik, you, I don't know if you were still with Magpul at this point, but you had this video, it was like a promo video, of one of your classes. And, you know, once you've, you know, are confident with your data, the range, all it is, is just a number. Uh, yeah. I think, I think you said that, or one of your students said that.
1: No, uh, um, Tim, Tim actually said it, Timmy, okay. I know you listened to this, um, He's, he's a hog. He's a, he's a hog. He's okay. my adjunct instructor when I was teaching uh, with Magpul. He's, he's now since moved on. He's a, he's a, he's a firefighter with uh, in tri cities here. And Tim, Tim said that and he was like, it's just a number, man. Like he would tell students that like, stop focusing on the number. It's just a number. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if it's a thousand yards away or if it's a freaking hundred yards away, it doesn't matter stop yep. psyching yourself out and stop putting yourself into a mental headspace. Like if you seriously just think of it that way, because the size of the target at a hundred yards that you should be aiming at is no smaller or no bigger than it is at a gram. So like, just look at it that
0: way. Yeah. I thought that was good. I thought it was, it was good. You know, once you've captivated, once you've, once you've built confidence in your rifle system, and, you know, you've got your data out to, uh, you know, 12, 1300 yards, um, you know, truly the distance to your target what really matters at that point is you, again, going back to, you know, what Kaylin and I always preached, the fundamentals of marksmanship and being able to, again, drive that gun, regardless of the conditions, regardless of the situation and kneeling, sitting 15, 10 mile an hour winds right? Uh, to be able to put that bullet on your target. Right.
1: Yeah. And honestly, like if there's anything that you guys gather from this podcast, let it be like your quest for information because what we're trying to do with, with this education, man, it, and you can, man, jump in here cause I'm sure you share the same, the same thoughts. You're removing variables to the point where you can define Exactly what it is wrong with your technique. And so, like, I don't want to have to worry, oh man, did I bet? Like, was my dope bad for that shot? Or, you know, did I, um, I don't know, or was it me? Like, I want to be able to definitively say it was me. Like, I don't want to be worried about my load development. Like, guess what? All you guys with these, like, gnarly low SDs that you're posting up on the internet, nobody cares because it doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, that's awesome if you wanna achieve that level, but like factory ammo ain't holding anybody back. So like it's, you gotta start looking at what matters. And then through that, you're gonna find out like, okay, yeah, this was me. I don't wanna come up to the firing line and wonder if any of those other variables that I truly could have put my finger on and like removed from the equation, because I want to walk away from the firing line saying okay so this was my error right here these three things okay so I'm going to put these into the notebook into the shooting journal and those are the three things I'm going to focus on with my deficiencies
0: one thing that going back to being a modern day rifleman and you know again training for other aspects of being a rifleman not just competition right so essentially when we go to the range, especially your focus scaling, when you go to the range, you're not, you, you know, you don't train to compete, right. You know, we train to be proficient with the rifle and to again, maximize, um, our potential, uh, with that, the capability of that rifle system. Um, and, uh, in any environment that we're at, right. In any, in any, um, application that we're at, you know, whether we're a sniper, hunter, competitor. Um, so, you know, one thing that, kind of blows me away with you the couple of times that we've shot together. And again, you know that I'm, I'm a more on the competitive side than you are. I mean, you come and show up and you just, you just take names, right? (laughs) Um, Just because of that basic understanding of the fundamentals in a, uh, even in a a high stressful environment. Right. Uh, So what I'm getting at with that is, you know, uh, and I know you hate the reloading bench,
1: um, I'm sitting at mine right now <laughs> yeah well
0: you you're sitting at it just because it's a it's a great it's a great uh a great place to do a podcast especially with the with the background um but that's one thing that i you know i got into reloading as a necessary evil, and you know as an instructor, I wanted to know a little bit more and, and i and i like it uh but when I started becoming a serious competitor and chasing you know the podium and stuff like that um I got sick of being more at the reloading bench reloading my rounds than being at the range.
1: Yeah.
0: And it wasn't fun anymore. Um, so what I started doing was just shooting factory and I was holding my own I was, I was, you know, I I have a couple podium finishes with factory ammo. Um, and you know, even, even with some of my non-podium finishes, um, every missed shot I know was myself or a bad wind call. You know what I mean? Um, I would say with factory ammo, there was probably out of, you know, a hundred shots, two or three shots that I would be like, oh, that was probably, you know, SDs at that point. Um, but the other 97 or whatever, whatever ones that I missed, I knew it was a bad trigger press impatiently, or it was just a bad wind call.
1: Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. It's it's uh, it's a reality that we have to face, man. We are, we are yep. not infallible. And I think a lot of this stuff is driven by gear in the sense that like somebody's like, yo, I just paid all of this money. Like I have the most ninja equipment out there. I got like the whole FX 120i 419 setup, the Dylan, the the friggin' um the newest badass annealer. And it's like, dude, it you're not, you're still the lowest common denominator. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and, you have to make all of that stuff work, which is what we're, you know, going to get into. Like we we're, we're filming for our circle of components clinic right now for our online training course. And that's like setting up the gun and understanding like how to get it set up for you. And you can buy your way a long way, right? You can get in there pretty deep with a pocketbook. Like if you got the depth, but you still have to make all that stuff work and that's where the fundamentals come into play. So like, the the match stuff, I mean it's just shooting. Like it's just yeah. we're just shooting rifle. Like that's all we're doing, man. There's nothing special about it. You're just shooting a rifle. And like that's how I try to approach competition when when it comes to that because I'm, I'll admit, man, like if I if I go to if I go and I worry about how I'm going to perform, it's like, yeah, man, because it it messes with my brain because that's truly not the reason why I'm there. And and like, you know, if you don't if you don't like get your ego out of the way, it'll mess with you. And then you're gonna start thinking about all this other stuff, like all these variables, these external ballistics variables. Man, maybe it was my aerodynamic jump, dude. Give me a break. Like, no, it's you. You just missed, man. Just live with it, understand it, and then learn from
0: it. Again, guys, I'm not I'm not knocking on you if, if you love the reloading bench, if you love the chase SDs, right? Um, because for some people, that's a hobby, you know. Um, but uh, manage your expectations of performance in terms of, right, okay, am I spending too much time on the reloading bench versus the range, right? Uh, because, you know, you annealing or, you know, scraping, primer pockets, wherever the case might be to try to get, you know, your SDs from a five to a three or whatever kind of crazy shit's out there now. Um, you know, honestly, you're you're not going to see the difference at all. Um, unless you're shooting an MOA target all the time out to 13 yards, you know what I mean? Where match directors are, you know, but usually, match directors, what they're doing is they're they're building a course of fire, and they should be uh, around the medium pack, med pack shooters, right? Because those are, those are the guys, mid pack and low pack shooters, because those guys are always going to be showing up at matches, and those are majority of the bookings of a match. Yep. You know, um, it's very rare that you see every match, right? The top hundred competitors in the nation. That's usually just at the finale. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe onesies, twosies throughout the year, but most matches are comprised of mid pack to, you know, uh, lower pack shooters. So anyways, um, understand, uh, your, your end goal with reloading. Uh, you know, for me, I understood my end goal. Uh, and I still understand my end goal is, is to understand, Hey, the, the basics of reloading so I can teach it, uh, and understand the in- internal ballistics process. Uh, and you know, when I want to nerd out a little bit, um, it's nice, to talk to those reloading guys and stuff like that but uh you know my focus usually is at the range to apply cuz yeah. you know even with all the custom built rifles that I have now I say this all the time I I would never I will never ever be able to outshoot the capability of them
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. you know um so um yeah so that's kind of my spiel um one thing kaylin I wanted to do this is I know this is a big kick left but uh um start knocking out some q and a's, yeah for sure so, so I think I'm just gonna do one because this kind of applies to both of us, so maybe you can do one and i I'll do one uh, of a q and a um so a q and a that I just got recently that's fresh in my head it came from uh, Instagram and it was uh zachary Washington, and he just getting into competition shooting he listens to us um thanks for listening man first off, and thanks for uh being supportive of the podcast and his question is uh, something i've wondered maybe y'all can cover it on the podcast one day you and calen came up on mcmillan stocks in the core is there any specific reason y'all don't shoot them in competition and why we went with the KRG?
1: interesting that's a
0: that's a great that's a great question cuz i always tell people that the foundation of my long range shooting came from a stock and i for me i will always gravitate toward a stock even though i don't have any mcmillans Mac- i have all manners actually in my, in my background right now I've got my manners PRS one um, and all my stocks are manner stocks. So for me, um, reason why I went over to KRG is the minute that I interfaced with it. And I tell this to people all the time, the most contact points that you have on the stock at all times is the rear of the stock, mm-hmm. your grip where your face and your support hand and your shoulder connection, right? Those, those main points the front end doesn't really matter, right? That's all accessories and stuff like that. Um, or, you know, the modularity of, um, of, of you know, that, that system as well obviously balance. But I would say when you're connecting to that rifle, most of your points of contact are in the back by the buttstock. And as soon as I jumped behind the KRG, it immediately felt like a stock. And I think that's why I eventually gravitated to it because it, not only felt like a stock, but now it had all this modularity with it as well.
1: I agree. I mean, like I do enjoy the the fit of a traditional rifle stock. Just like, just like you said, man, like the, the, the verdict stock that I have is just, it's like coming home almost, you know, you, you just slide into it and you're like, ah, that's, that, it feels good. It feels like a great connection. Um, some of the reasons why for me, I choose to, Drift away from the Macmillan, and I even have like I even have some Sentinels, and, and like I love Terry's design with the Sentinels. It's awesome. What I've come to find out though, with our new shooting style or our updated shooting style of getting the rifle very center line, and then even before getting the rifle center line, we were starting to be able to elevate our butt pads. And that is a huge, huge contributing factor to like manipulating how the recoil of the rifle is transferred to the shooter and, and keeping the muzzle down and being able to spot your, your second sight picture and not hunt for it. Um, that's phenomenal. So that's another, that's one of the main reasons I went to KRG. Um, the, the other problem that, you know, like that I found, like I have large, I have Large hands and long freaking fingers. So like the distance to the trigger on a McMillan stock for me is fine. But for other people, it's way most people it's way, way too long. And you don't, and it's really difficult for you to establish a proper grip. So I would have to say like ergonomics, um, and like yeah, that's a great way of explaining it. this is the back of the gun, right? It's basically everything from the grip rearwards. And it just it, that stock that that chassis does just feel like a stock it doesn't feel like a like a hunk of aluminum
0: yeah it, it, for me to the grip area um i i love the thumb shelf that's probably if, out of all features my favorite feature uh the thumb shelf on the grip um and all the toolless adjustment i mean there's 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 a couple times that um, before I put my spacers in that created my length of pull. to, I have a, a spacers in the back to help balance the gun because I'm running a heavy barrel on my competition guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, what that does, it, it, it brings my length of pull to about 14 inches even with my buttstock collapsed all the way mm-hmm. to zero. But before I had that in there, I would actually have it uh, back at one. And then when I went to positionals, I would shift it back to zero because again, I'd get my length of pull distance back being a little bit more erect. Does that make sense? So that's another plus is being able to manipulate it. If, if you want right on the fly, Hey, I'm going to prone out. I'm going to adjust my length of pull to, you know, let's say 1375 or 14 inches. But when I go to a positional stage, I can shrink it back down to 13 and a half, You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, all without having to pull out a freaking you know, Allen wrench or whatever,
1: yeah, and uh, run the risk of losing spacers and stuff. And, you know, e- that.
0: E- exactly. Um, so yeah, that, that's a that's a, a plus one uh, for a KRG. And then if you get to know those guys, um, you know those guys. Uh, if you you know go on their site, um, all uh, SF former SF guys. Um, super super solid team. Just a small tight knit team that runs KRG too. It's not like this big, you know, not like VT or. Uh, some of those big chassis companies where they got a really big team behind them. It's a really small team. And uh, I think they knocked it out. Um, uh, Justin really knocked it out with the, uh, you know, with his products.
1: Indeed. Indeed. I've been shooting them for a long time. Yeah. Um, Cool, man. So the, the, my, my question here is from Instagram and this is Brian's Brian Sanderlin Morgan um i know you're busy and i appreciate that man but we do our best to get back to you guys Uh, and and so just i appreciate your patience too um i'm new to i'm i'm new when it comes to prs just got my first rifle when i lay down in the prone to practice trigger control i feel like my rifle wants to slide forward or move a lot especially when running my bolt how do you combat this so he's he's goes on to say like what's the best way to control the rifle and he's got a teak attack A1, and the length of pull seems a tad short. It's currently at 14 inches, and I'm a tall guy at six foot four. Does that have anything to do with it? So first off, man, thank you for listening, and thank you for reaching out to us, Brian. That's, that's awesome. Super – it's humbling, right? Um, so my guess, without actually seeing you, like actually seeing what you're doing, I would say that you're – your non-shooting hand, your non-firing hand, is not supporting the, the rear of the gun with a sand sock or a rear support. That's why it's always going to want to slide forward. And if you are using a rear bag, you might not be putting your actual the, your hand itself, the web of your hand, in contact with the bottom of the stock with the toe of the stock. So that that could be that would be my guess, not having seen anything.
0: Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, trying to overload the bipods. Um, you know, that's something that I've really changed since the first time I was taught, um, you know, loading the bipods to now, you know, I, I load the bipods initially to, to establish a good connection between the, the bipods and the ground. Mm-hmm. But once, you know, going back to the shooter's checklist, once I, grip the rifle, I actually changed the load to where now I'm pulling that rifle back into my shoulder. Yeah. Right. Is that what you do? We think we we talk about this. So like
1: I I roll my shoulder forward just a just a touch and then I rearward pressure with my firing
0: head. And, and one thing I always tell my students, especially for hunters is no matter what kind of weight you're pushing against the rifle forward to load the bipods or whatever the case may be that weight your body weight will never never overcome the force of recoil when you when that round goes off that rifle is always going to want to snap back towards you so instead of pushing it what i have started to do is kind of pull already that slack back in my shoulder so there's less distance of that rifle to jump at me Mm -hmm. So that's something to give a, uh, uh, give a try there, Brian.
1: Stay connected, Brian, stay connected, man. But Keep the cool, man. in touch. So, Hey, one more thing, guys. So I know we've been making a couple of posts on Instagram, talking about online training stuff. We're in the middle of recording it right now. Um, we we should be set to release our first, uh, our first block of instruction here coming pretty quick. So, um, if you guys would do me a favor, jump onto the website and sign up for our email list. So we're going to be starting to send out some emails here pretty quick and talking about um, how we're going to structure the emails. And what we want to do is create kind of like a little mini monthly information packet for you. So like a little tiny miniature blog post, kind of like, Hey, what's going on in the community, what's going on in the, in the world right now in terms of precision shooting. And then, you know, uh, some, some upcoming classes that we got and and just topics of discussion, just like a little tidbit of of knowledge. So, um, go ahead. If you can just jump over to the website, www.moderndaysniper.com get signed up to the email list. That way we can stay in touch with you and get you, uh, some continued, you know, continued content. Right. So that's my only plug, man.
0: That's going to be huge guys. So uh, make sure you guys keep your ear to the ground on that. Here to the ground. Yeah. Um, when, uh, when Kaelin does drop that, that's circle of components, um, until I became a gun works instructor and that was a part of the curriculum that I had to teach. I didn't understand how important that was again, transitioning from, you know, uh, the Marine Corps side of the house to, um, civilian side of the house. Um, you know, in the Marine Corps, it was easy because, Hey, this is the rifle that you're given. These are the components and parts of it now where I'm sitting at as not only as a uh um instructor at Gumworks, but you know, this kind of uh I don't know, competitive Instagram fluent influencer, whatever the hell you want to call me. Um I get different again walks of of life, you know, that or my audience that essentially just has different flavors, you know what I mean, of of what their what their end goal is when they um get into long range shooting. Um, and so I do the best I can to, uh, educate these guys, right. The small questions that I get on the correct choice that they want. And, and I try to do it as unbiased as possible, right. Because, you know, I always want to go with, you know, the KRG or whatever, but, you know, at the same time, I have to understand their budget and I have to understand, okay, we're, you know what their end state is with it, right?
1: Yeah, you um, also just feed them with information.
0: I want to feed them with the correct information on yeah. what's going to what's going to be uh, the best stuff to fit their end goal. Yep. You know what I mean? And that circle of components, right? From again, literally the buttstock to the muzzle brake, everything about that rifle, you know, everything about that rifle or everything about each one of those components plays a very integral part of again understanding your rifle system and connecting with um that system. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um how the recoil or how a muzzle brake affects recoil, you know, that blast that comes back to your face, you know, the ergonomics of the trigger, whether it's a flat shoe, single stage or whatever the case may be. Um so yeah, you know, when uh when Kalen has that available for you guys, I definitely would jump on it because, you know, it, it's definitely um, a Just a good starting point to understand um, how the long-range system works. Yep. So.
1: No, because it's like a, you know, the more intimately familiar you are with your system, the better off you're going to be when it comes to understanding how it works.
0: Yep. So cool dude this was an
1: awesome podcast man an hour and 45 coming up on ish somewhere in there so sorry guys we're a little bit long long-winded but it's a lot of information and it's all good information and hopefully like hopefully we weren't rambling i don't think we were rambling much were we
0: no i think i think uh that i th- i felt our introduction was a little weak this time um <laughs> i just kind of rolled over into like hey what are we talking about today um you know I think everyone's got the point, especially our, our, our listeners that have, have listened to it already, you know, they, they know who you, you, know, who you are listening to this, you know, you are that modern day rifleman or modern day sniper, because, you know, you guys want that no bullshit information on, on what's practical and what's not. Um, and you guys know that uh, putting mindfulness behind the rifle means lowering your ego and, you know, just being students of the craft just to, to, to be better and in, increase our, extend our range. Um, but yeah, if, if you guys found value in this, uh, in this podcast or, you know, our podcast, uh, just share with someone, you know, share with a buddy that, you know, you might be able to get, get into it and, you know, have another person to shoot with. I truly enjoy shooting with, uh, other people, uh, with Ben, or even when I'm shooting with Kalen, um, you know, it just, it just helps cause they just help, you know, make me better. So, uh, refer someone and, uh, keep the questions coming guys. And, uh, yeah, thanks for all the support and love.
1: Right on, man. We love y'all. Enjoy your day.
0: Later. Keep your face in the gun. (laughs)
1: Just waiting for it.